Have you ever experienced what it is to be a stranger? A stranger. For some of us, that's a foreign thought, a strange, if you would, thought. Because I look around this room and most of us have grown up in this country. We have gotten to know its customs and traditions from our very earliest days. I look around at some of us who were not born here and truly experienced what it was to be a stranger in this country. Others of you have experienced what it is to be a stranger because you've packed up and moved. Today is a bittersweet day for me personally because uh, tomorrow my good friend Justin Medina is going to be moving down to Louisiana. And uh, how old are you now, Justin? 16. I started picking up Justin on a bus when you were, what, five, six? Uh, this is, a, this is a, a good young man. We're going to be praying for him and, and hoping that he's going to keep on following the Lord there. Justin will miss you. Um, Justin's going to know tomorrow what it is to be a stranger. He's going to leave his school behind. He's going to leave many of his friends behind. He, he's going to park down in a place that he's going to have to get to know. But someday soon, hopefully, Justin may not be a stranger there anymore. It'll feel at least a little bit more like home. And I start here because we have been following these portraits of faith, these galleries here in Hebrews chapter 11. We have looked at, 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 at Abel, a man who by faith offered a better sacrifice to God. We saw a man named Enoch, by faith he walked with God. We saw a man named Noah who by faith in this godly reverence and fear built an ark even though no one had ever seen a kind of destructive flood coming. But he by faith did it and he saved his house. Then last week we looked at Abraham. By faith he obeyed. God said, leave, leave your home, leave your land. And off he went. He didn't even know where he was going. But by faith, if God had told him, he was going to obey. And today, again, I don't think it's a coincidence that as we just continue marching through this passage here on the 4th of July, on Independence Day itself, we are again looking at Abraham. A man who by faith, will you look with me at verse 9? By faith, he sojourned, that is, he dwelt, he lived in the land of promise as in a strange country, like a foreign land, dwelling in tabernacles, in tents. He lived in tents. He didn't construct any houses. He dwelled in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And if you just look ahead a few verses to verse 13, he says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were, what are those next three words? They were what? strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. How many hundreds of years ago when the pilgrims came to this land, what were they telling the entire world when they took off from the shores of England for a new land? They said, we're seeking a country because this one is not ours. 
This one is, is no longer sufficient for us. And then verse 15 says, And truly, if they had been mindful, if, if their minds had been fixed on that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Abraham, if he had been focused on his homeland, he might have gone back. One of our neighbors, when we first moved into our house, one of our neighbors was the sweetest old couple from Poland. They still carried on a Polish accent. They still enjoyed Polish food, Polish customs. And do you know where they moved back to? To Poland. They're spending their final days back in that home country. This is the picture. Abraham didn't look back to Ur of the Chaldees and say, I'm going back. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Notice what the passage says. But now they, Abraham included, they desire a better country, a better country than Ur of the Chaldees, a better country than Canaan, a better country wherever they were that is a heavenly one. Abraham was looking for a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Why do I say this isn't coincidental? Because I think we need to hear today on the 4th of July that Abraham's journey of faith is something that is consistent with every one of ours if we're Christians today. That Abraham's journey of faith affected the way he lived in every bit the same kinds of ways that it, affect, it should affect the way we live, including today on the 4th of July. The title of the message today is, By Faith, a Stranger and Pilgrim. By Faith, a Stranger and Pilgrim. And my hope and prayer is this morning that as we celebrate the 245th anniversary of the founding of this country, that we would see with fresh eyes by the Spirit of God today that if we are Christians, we are every bit the stranger and pilgrim that Abraham was. The Bible indeed tells us. We're going to look at three things today as we look at this faith-based decision to be a stranger and pilgrim. The first was Abraham's manner of living. His manner of living. Then we'll look at Abraham's motive for this lifestyle. Why did he live the way he did? And then finally, we'll look at God's message for 21st century American Christians, including those of us here today. Let's start with Abraham's manner of living, shall we? Go back to your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews 11 and verse number nine. By faith, he sojourned, he lived, he dwelt in the land of promise. Now, we just flip those words around. We'd say the promised land. And in the Old Testament, this promised land was a big deal to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. It was the land that God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants. Do you remember when we looked last week? God told him, Abraham, leave your homeland because I have a different homeland for you. I have a land that I have promised to give to you and to your descendants forever. And so Abraham went. Listen to what God told him in Genesis 13. And the Lord said unto Abram after that lot was separated from him. His nephew had gone off toward the land of Sodom to take that land as his own. Now Abram was going to have his land. And here's what God says. Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where thou art. Northward and southward and eastward and westward. He said look all around in a big circle. For all the land which thou seest, 
To thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. He goes on to say, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. He said, Abraham, everything you see, north, south, east, west, it's all yours. God promised him that land. But here's the mystery. Abraham never settled in the land that God promised him. Did you know that? Did you know that Abraham never bought any property in the land that God gave him? Except on one occasion. When did he buy land? On one occasion. To bury his wife, Sarah. And in fact, on that occasion, here's what he did. And Abraham stood up from before his dead, before Sarah, who he was grieving over, and spake unto the sons of Heth. These were the people in the land that he was dwelling in. He said, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. You know, I don't live here. I, I don't have property here. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Give me land. And then in the, the chapter 13, we see him buying land. That was the only purchase of land that we see Abraham making in his entire life. What, what did he do? He just traveled in fact, if you follow his journeys, if you can just imagine a map in your mind's eye, Israel is this little sliver along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And to the east of that, there's the land of the Chaldees, Ur of the Chaldees on the Euphrates River. And, and Abraham comes out of that land, makes a circle up toward Haran, and then descends south right across that narrow strip of what would become the land of Israel. And if you just follow his place, he just keeps on going south. He goes to Shechem, and then he goes past what would now be Jerusalem, and he keeps on going south. He ultimately goes in famine into Egypt. He, he slips into the land of Egypt. He then comes back up to Bethel, where God had appeared to him previously. He's here. He's just traveling. And where is he living? He's not living in houses. Scripture tells us he's living in a tent Now, it wasn't because this man was impoverished. This man was extraordinarily wealthy. This man would have been one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest man alive at that period of time. This was a rich man. It's not because he couldn't afford to build a big, beautiful house for himself. He simply lived in tents with his flock. Why? Notice what Hebrews 11 tells us here in verse 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. Now look at this. As in a strange country. Now the, word, the wording of the Greek here, literally the word means it's another's. He was living as if the land was another's. It was a strange country, not his. Like if you're a foreigner and you're visiting someplace and you say, this land isn't mine. I don't speak the same language. I don't have the same customs. We're different. This is someone else's land. You say, wait a second. Why? God had promised it to him. It was going to be his land. It was going to be the land of his descendants. But Abraham said, I'm living as if it's someone else's land. I'm living as if I'm in a strange country, that's why I'm dwelling in tents. I'm not putting down my roots here. And what a strange thing. What a mystery. God said, Abraham, go to this land. God directed him to where he was. God said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm giving it to you. It's going to be yours and your descendants. And he never puts down roots. He just dwells as if he's in a strange land. That was his manner of living. That was his lifestyle. 
And secondly, let's look at Abraham's motive for this lifestyle. Why did Abraham live in this mysterious way? Look at verse 10, will you? For he looked for a city which hath foundations. Now, why does he specify a city with foundations? Because a tent doesn't have any foundations. Have any of you been camping and a windstorm has come out and you were worried that your tent was just going to blow away? It was going to blow right out through the, take, the tent stakes? Maybe it actually did? A tent doesn't have foundations. And it, it, it d depicts the kind of temporary status of the life that Abraham has. Always ready to pack up and move. Always ready to hear God's command and go somewhere else. But Abraham was looking for a city. A city with permanence. A city with foundations. Notice what he says. Whose builder and maker is God. Now, we need to see something about Abraham. Remember we learned last week, Abraham knew what a prosperous city was. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, a city that even, a, a, a civilization that even modern archaeology tells us was extremely prosperous. Abraham would have known what a thriving metropolis looks like, but he said, I'm not looking for a city that man built. I'm looking for a city that God designed and built. That's the idea who's builder and maker. It's like his architect and his craft, is the craftsman of it, the maker of it was God. Now, what is he saying? He's clearly, this, this passage is clearly telling us that Abraham had his eye on an eternal destiny, on an eternal future. God said, go, I'm going to give this land to you and your seed. And Abraham says, God, I'll put down my tent here, but I'm not going to put down roots here because I'm looking for an eternal city. I'm looking for something more permanent than even this land that you have promised me for right now. He was looking for something different. And interestingly, in verse 10, it says, for he looked for a city. This idea, looked for, is not like he was searching for. He was trying to find it. The idea of this word and the way it's translated in most of our New Testament most often is waiting for. He was expecting. He was simply saying, God, you've got something for me ahead. Now think about this. Abraham has been directed to this land. He's been promised this land. And yet this land is not what he's living for. He's waiting for it. He's expecting. He's anticipating something to come. An eternal city. In fact, this is reiterated in verse number 16. But now they, including Abraham, desire a better country that is a heavenly what was Abraham looking for? A heavenly country, a heavenly city. What he was seeing on earth was not good enough for him. And so he was living and expecting what was to come. Friend, what message does this send? That's the third point for us today. What message does God have for 21st century Christians, for 21st century American Christians? Because in some ways we're so different from Abraham. For one, none of us are as extraordinarily wealthy in his day as, as he was. For two, I don't know anyone who, here who lives in a tent. Now, of course, we have seen tent cities pop up, right, even in our city. Some people still today do across the world live in tents. But for most of us, there is a place with foundations that we're going to go home to, a city, a, a, a house that we own or a house that we rent, whatever it is. Maybe it's an apartment building, whatever it is, there's a place for us to call home. Not only that, many of us have bought property here, 
Many of us work here, right? We have put down roots here. We have family here. We're not just in a tent going around from place to place. And we say, what does this tell us about our life? Abraham seems really different from us. But friends, we need to understand that God's message to us is to strangers and pilgrims every bit that Abraham was, even though we may live in houses, not in tents. We need to understand that the message to 21st century Americans is how faith will make you live your life just in the same manner that Abraham lived his life, even if you're not living in a tent. Here's what I'm trying to say. What was the main feature of Abraham's faith? Abraham, God had promised to him something eternal and something heavenly. And Abraham said, God, I'm living for that, not for the land that you have me in right here. Why would I put down roots when I'm looking for a better city? It was faith. He hadn't seen that eternal country. He hadn't seen that heavenly citizenship. And yet he believed in it in a way that changed the way he lived. And what I'm saying to us is that God's message to us as American Christians today is that he has promised you a city. We looked at it in Revelation 21 and 22 just a couple months ago. We saw that new heavenly city, Jerusalem, that's going to come down from heaven, out of God, out, uh, from God, out of heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be an eternal place of security. It's going to have foundations that are permanent, that are everlasting. It's going to be a perfect city because God designed it, because God built it. It's a city called heaven. And God says to us throughout the New Testament, that's what you're living for, Christian. Do you remember in the Pilgrim's Progress, that great book by John Bunyan, if you haven't read it, it's so relevant, even if it was written back in the 1600s to today. And here, this Pilgrim, that was his... That was his idea, Pilgrim's Progress. This man named Christian leaves behind the city of destruction and he heads toward the celestial city. And the rest of his life is going onward toward that eternal heavenly city. And the picture for all of us is that we have left behind what will be destroyed here on earth. The judgment of God that is falling on this earth for its sin. We are going to a heavenly city. How were we made that pilgrim? Because Jesus, by his death on the cross, by his sacrifice that he made for your sin and my sin, he has taken you out of the kingdom of this world. You're a stranger in it. And he has put you into the kingdom of his son, into the kingdom of heaven in which God will reign eternally in that new Jerusalem forever. And the gospel tells you, you're now a stranger here on earth. If you have accepted Jesus, if you have entered into his kingdom by faith, if you have repented of your sin and you have given yourself to him and to his kingdom, he has opened the door and said, come in. You are now a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen of earth. And for those who are walking by faith, that status is real to them. My dad used to tell of this wonderful old old missionary and the Red Sea Mission Team, the founder of the Red Sea Mission Team, Lionel Gurney. My father went to the bank with him once. And at, as Lionel Gurney was at the bank, he was filling out some kind of paperwork. And the teller at the bank was just filling this out. And, and he had a, a, a British accent. And she asked him, citizenship, what's your citizenship? And without batting an eye, he looked at her and he said, heaven. 
And she looked at him kind of like, kind of almost nervously giggled. No, no, like, <laughs> yeah, I understand. What's your citizenship? He's just heaven. And before you know it, he was giving her the gospel and telling her, of course, why he was a citizen of heaven. To people of faith, that is their citizenship. It's heaven. And do you know the Bible tells us that? Listen to what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, for our conversation. And the idea literally of this Greek word is your citizenship. That's what he's saying here. Your citizenship, your conversation is in heaven. Where's your citizenship? Heaven. From whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting for, we are expecting Jesus to come back. Just like Abraham looked for a city, he expected a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. So we look for our Savior to come and make real to us, to bring to true reality, not just the reality of faith, true reality, our citizenship in heaven. Peter makes the same point in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he says, he, um, uh, he says, my beloved brethren, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. And this word pilgrims that he uses here is a word that actually has the idea of a resident alien. It's like someone who has a green card. Maybe some of you came to this country on a green card. What does it mean to have a green card? It doesn't mean you're a citizen of the United States. It means that you're just living here temporarily. Now, what happens when you're living here temporarily? You can work. You can speak English. You can even buy property. You can settle down here in a sense. But you're not a citizen. You have a green card. It's to be a resident alien, a resident foreigner. What does it mean to be a stranger? It means automatically to be different. I experienced this in a very real way when I was 16 years old. We took a trip and we were going through some of the New Testament sites with my father's ministry training school. And we went to Rome. And as a 16-year-old kid, I wasn't all that interested in some of the sites that we were seeing. We went to one of the big plazas there in Rome. And they were looking at these art paintings that were just spread around. And I was bored out of my mind. And I was a stranger there, and I felt very alone. But do you know what I did find? There was a little kiosk just to the side. This was back in about 2001. And there was a USA Today there. Home! I just wanted to catch up on sports or that while I'd been gone. Let's be honest. That's what I was looking for. And so I, I just am paging through this USA Today, figuring out what was going on. And I look up, and the entire group is gone. I mean, we're probably talking 30 people. Gone. I have no cell phone. I have no, I don't speak the language. I have no idea what's going on. And in a city of nearly 3 million people, I'm by myself. And I said, okay, I remember them talking about they were going to the Pantheon. So I got to find my way to the Pantheon. So I, I find my way to the Pantheon. They're not there. I said, I remember the, vaguely the name of some other place that were they going, but I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I don't remember it. I don't know how to get there. I said, well, I do remember that my, my hotel was outside the gate of this certain place. And so I went, I found a map. Again, I, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know my way around Rome. I had to look at this little tiny map, right? I eventually found my way back several miles just walking to the hotel, just as my dad was about to send a search party out for me. Do you know what I was? I was a stranger. It was all, it was all different to me. It was foreign. Now, what does it mean? for us as Christians to be strangers and pilgrims in America today. 
It means a couple things. It doesn't mean necessarily not putting down any roots, not settling in, not buying property exactly like Abraham did. That's not what it means. In fact, it doesn't even mean getting material prosperity. Abraham was a tremendously wealthy man. We don't set our sights at being rich. We don't pursue wealth. But if God chooses to give us wealth, we don't say, oh no, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. I can't have any of this. Not necessarily, at least. It's not commanded, even though God may have us give more generously of our wealth. But here's what it does mean. It means something about the way we look at our country and our citizenship of birth. It means, as the old hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That means the United States is not my primary identity. It's not my primary value. It's not my primary source of pride or even any source of pride. Why? Because my citizenship is in heaven. What did Abraham do when he went through the land of Canaan that God had promised him, that God had directed him to? And he was living in a tent. He was saying, I'm holding everything that God has given me with a light hand. I don't identify with the citizens of this land. I'm not putting down my permanent roots here. My citizenship is in heaven. It's been said in idle Idolatry, right? An idol is something that if it crumbles, your worldview or your source of identity crumbles with it. Friend, do you know how careful we have to be that as we look ahead to whether America will crumble someday in the future, we don't stake our identity here? We don't stake our value here? We don't say if America, if God's desire or will is that America pass away, that therefore something's going to change radically about my life, about the way that I view myself as a person. No, my identity is not here. Our identity should not be here. Our identity is up there. That's what matters. That is what is eternal. We are looking for a city that has foundations, a permanent city. Now the question is, how do we do that? And here's where I want to look for a moment at 1 Peter. Will you turn over just a couple of, of books? After Hebrews is James, and then after James is 1 Peter. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll see something I think really interesting here about what it looks like to live as a stranger and pilgrim. Look at verse number 11. He says, dearly beloved, I beseech you, I plead with you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lust. Refrain from completely saying no thank you to fleshly lust. These sinful desires which war against the soul. Do you see what he was saying? Do you want to live as a stranger and pilgrim? Then say absolutely not to your own sinful desires. You say, how will that make me a stranger and a pilgrim? Because look around us. Look around our world. Our American civilization is given toward our sinful desires. The lust of the flesh, sexual desire, and all of the other forms of bodily desire that we give ourselves to. The lust of the eyes, wealth, materialism, the pride of life, the vanity of being looked at in a certain way, of being admired and, and having a reputation of prestige and honor. 
That is the way our civilization is directed. And it may not always be in a very openly expressed way, but friends, even among those who live more respectable lives, that's exactly how they feed their fleshly desires, respectably. As long as it's respectable to live according to their sinful desires and shack up before marriage, they'll do it. As long as it's respectable. Is there a way they can feed their prideful desires? They'll do it as long as they're not looked at as too cocky or proud. Is there a way to pursue materialism and pride respectably so they're not looked at wrong by those around them? They'll do it as long as it's respectable. But that's not the Christian. The Christian doesn't feed his fleshly or her fleshly desires just when it's respectable. The Christian says, no, no thank you. Not at any time, not in any circumstance. Why? Because those sinful desires are literally warring against my soul. They're trying to bring me back into captivity to what God, by his son, has freed me from. Friends, do you want to live like a stranger and pilgrim today? Then just say no to your sinful desires all the time. By God's grace, by his spirit and the power of the new resurrected life that he has given you, you'll be different. You'll be a stranger here. Notice what else he says. Having your conversation, your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles. That word honest there doesn't just mean scrupulously honest and accurate. It means honorable. You live life honorably. Do you want to live a life as a stranger and pilgrim in 21st century America? Be rigorous about when you clock in and clock out at your job. Don't cheat your employer by even one minute. That's how you live honorably. Don't cheat one cent of your taxes, not even one cent. You live honorably. That's how we do it. And do you know when we do that, we'll be different. We'll be a stranger. We'll be a pilgrim. Be honorable in everything that you do. I think one of the greatest examples of all this in the Bible, other than Jesus, is a man named Daniel. Daniel was living as a stranger and a pilgrim. He was living as a foreigner in a, in, in a, in a land that had taken his people captive. Can you imagine? The enemy. He was living in this foreign land. And listen to what scripture says about him. The presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They were looking for ways to bring him down. They were jealous of him. But they could find none occasion or fault. They couldn't find one thing that he was doing dishonorably. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only thing they could find as a blemish on him was his honor and worship and service of God. And let it be the same of us. God forbid that we should be looked on poorly at our, at our workplace because we're a jerk, because we're selfish, because we're rude. Let it only be because of our Christian conviction. Otherwise, let us live honorably and above reproach and honestly in every single thing we do that no one can look at us and, and point any blame at us except it be for our Christian conviction. That's what it means to live as a, as a stranger and a pilgrim. Live honorably. Let's keep on going. Verse 13. Again, same, same context. Stranger and pilgrim. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You want to be a stranger and pilgrim today? Honor and respect your government officials and do what they say. Do you know what he says? Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Notice in verse 17, honor all men, 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, honor the king. Friends, do you know what we're seeing today in our political environment that is becoming so much more partisan, so much more angry? The insulting of our political leaders, the name-calling, the nastiness. The idea that if I'm going to play in our political land sphere, I have to fight. We say, at least that politician fights. No, no. Not the Christian. The Christian's not living for, for this. He's not a citizen. This isn't his primary identity. His citizenship is in heaven, so he serves the kingdom of God no matter what it means. He, is, he honors his government officials. He never speaks nastily of them mean, in a mean-spirited way. He never mocks them or belittles them because he honors them because God put that person there. And he respects God, so he respects that person. You want to be a stranger and pilgrim today and stand out in this hypercharged partisan environment? Honor and submit, obey, come under the direction of your leaders, whether we agree or not. Do we, do we violate our Christian conviction? No, no, never. We obey God rather than men. But in every other case, do we submit to the ordinances of man, to the authorities that God has put in place? We do. We could keep on going. Notice what he says next. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. What's he saying? Honor your bosses. Honor your employers. Don't trash them behind their backs. Don't mock them and ridicule them. Do you want to be a stranger and pilgrim? Honor and respect those who are in authority over you. That's how you do it. You want to keep on going? Look at chapter 3. Same concept, right? Same idea. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. What's he saying? Do you want to be a stranger and a pilgrim? It'll show up in the way you treat your wife and the way wife you treat your husband. You'll be a stranger and a pilgrim in the way you live. Notice what else he says then. Keep on going. Verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind. This unity of mind. Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. This brotherly love toward each other. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Have this compassion toward one another. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrarywise, blessing. When someone mocks you, bless them. Don't curse them. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Do you want to be a stranger and a pilgrim? Live lives of love and of charity to every single person, no matter how they treat you. And you'll stand out and you'll be different. You see, what I'm trying to say here is simply this. There's one way to look at our life as, as strangers and pilgrims here that is solely external. As if the way I live my life is, is kind of setting out these countercultural boundaries and that's the way I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. And don't get me wrong. If we're strangers and pilgrims, it'll affect the way we dress. It'll affect the entertainments we give ourselves to. It'll affect externals about us. But everything that Peter is talking about here in being a stranger and pilgrim is about the internals, about the inside. Come into contact with a risen, resurrected, and, and, and lordly Christ. Be changed by the Spirit of God within you and let your character reveal itself in the way you live and you will stand out like a sore thumb, like a stranger and like a pilgrim. Live as a changed person from the inside. And like Abraham, you'll never find yourself truly putting down roots in the culture of the world around you. Friends, if someone could look at your life today, would they say, there goes a stranger and a pilgrim here in America? Not primarily or foremost by the way you 
comport your externals, if you will, but by the way you live your life in the most basic features. Strangers, pilgrims. One more thing very briefly before we close. What does this mean on Independence Day? What does this mean for Christians in the way we relate to the 4th of July and celebrate the 245th anniversary of our country? I'm going to suggest to you today that there's a way we do that very poorly as Christians. And that is when we celebrate Independence Day as being something about our identity as a person. We are Americans. We have pride. We have this kind of value that we wrap up in ourselves because we're Americans. And friends, I'm just going to suggest to you today that as strangers and pilgrims, that's inconsistent with our calling. That's inconsistent for us to have a kind of exclusionary or a kind of of, um, uh, uh, exclusive kind of valuation of identity that we have in our American citizenship because, again, our citizenship is in heaven. But what might it look like for a Christian to celebrate Independence Day today? I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 12, and I want to just want to leave you with one thing that I hope will be helpful from Abraham's example. Go back with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12, where Kevin read for us this morning. Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see something characteristic about Abraham. Verse 5 tells us, Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, this promised land. And into the land of Canaan they came. Now notice verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He built an altar and he worshipped. Verse 8, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on his west and high on the east. And there he builded an altar under the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Go over to chapter 13. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And he comes back, verse 4, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Go to verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from, from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art. And, and go ahead to verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and dwelt, built there an altar unto the Lord. What was the characteristic of Abraham's pilgrimage? When he stopped somewhere, what did he do? You read it. What did he do? He built an altar and he worshiped. Do you know what Abraham did? Wherever God led him and wherever he set up his tent, of course, maybe not every place, but here we see over and over again, Abraham said, God, I'm going to stop and worship you right now. God, you've brought me to a place of fatness where my flocks can feed. You've brought me to this abundant place where my material resources I can enjoy. God, thank you. And I'm just going to suggest to you today that on this Independence Day, build an altar. Build an altar not to America. I don't know the plans that God has for this country in the future. My citizenship isn't here first and foremost. It's not an altar there. It's not an altar to my identity or to my pride. 
it's, it's an altar of worship to God to say, God, you brought me to this place. You had me born in this country. You gave me the liberties and the privileges that we have here. You gave me the material prosperity that I have enjoyed in this place. You gave me this. You gave me my fellow citizens whom I love. You gave me this country whom I, which I love. You gave me all of this. God, Independence Day is an altar of worship to you. And God, if you take it away from me one day, I'll build an altar there too and worship you. I want to suggest to you today that's what Independence Day looks like for strangers and pilgrims. No, it's not being anti-American. It's just recognizing that my citizenship is not first and foremost here. My citizenship is in heaven and therefore an altar of worship and of gratitude is given toward God for the blessings that he has bestowed on us here. Strangers and pilgrims. What's the only way we're going to live this out? By faith. By faith in what God has given you, not just today, but what he has promised you for eternity. May that be our walk of faith on this Independence Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this country. You have blessed us immeasurably, immensely. Father, I pray that each one of us would build our own altar of worship here. That we would call on your name. Father, I pray that if there's one person here who's not a stranger and pilgrim in this world, they're a citizen of this world because they haven't entered the kingdom of your son. Oh, may they call on your name today. Friend, I want to just speak to you for just a moment as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You can come into the kingdom of heaven right now by trusting Jesus and him alone for your eternal salvation, by repenting of your sins and telling him that you're going to follow him for the rest of your life, that your only hope of heaven is what Jesus did for you on the cross. Won't you come to him by faith today and receive him as your own and then live like a stranger and a pilgrim? I also want to just speak briefly to those Christians who are here today. Maybe you sense that your roots are sinking down a little too deeply into this place. You've built a house, if you will, an identity of value. Maybe it's time for you to repent today. Say, I need to recapture my identity as a stranger and as a pilgrim in this place. And then maybe for all of us, this Independence Day can be an altar of worship to thank God and praise him with love in our hearts for what he has given us never to take it for granted the blessings that he has given us in this country and in the liberties that we enjoy. And in worshiping him to say, God, I hold it all with a light hand because my citizenship, my future is in heaven. Let's just allow the spirit of God to speak to us. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Father, may that be all of our identity, recognizing that our only true identity is in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.